this month's ianabernethy.com podcast. This month we'll be discussing power generation and the use of impact equipment. Welcome to this month's ianabernethy.com podcast. Without further ado, here's Motorhead with their cover version of the classic Louie Louie. Right, it's like that, is it? I see. We'd rather discuss kata, would we? Or, or bunkai, or, or, or self-defence, you know? I try to do something a little bit different, and it's just not appreciated, is it? <laughs> I, I really hope somebody found that funny, because it took me ages to find that scratching sound. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, pad work, now that we're back on track, and I've stopped messing about. Pad work, that's what we're going to discuss this month. Um, last couple of months we looked at uh, Katabase sparring, so that kind of gives us the skills we need to get our hands to the target, if you like. Um, gives us the combative skills, and obviously what we need to make sure that we can do is that we actually deliver um, our strikes with power. Once we get that fist to wherever we want it to go to, it does something when it gets there. So this month I'd like to discuss the basic ideas of impact development and some um, kind of key ideas on uh, discussing the way in which we train it, you know, discussing the main kind of bits of, uh, of training equipment as well. Yep, so, <laughs> despite the unusual introduction, I hope you enjoy uh, this month's podcast, and without further ado, we'll crack on and discuss uh, power generation. In this podcast, we'll be covering the basic principles of power generation and the use of impact equipment. Now, in order to fight effectively, it's vital that you can deliver powerful strikes. And the ability to hit hard is by far the most important skill when it comes to the, uh, the physical side of self-protection. Now, uh, many self-protection situations will be uh, preceded by an exchange of dialogue, and that will typically take place at punching distance. It's at the distance that uh, most people talk at and argue at and scream at each other at. Um, so with correct training, we should be able to actively take control of a situation in the dialogue stages with the use of a, a preemptive strike. Now, if we can effectively deliver a powerful preemptive strike, we then have the ability to uh, to flee and end the physical side of the confrontation very quickly. Now, uh, in the book uh, Karate Do Kyohan, uh, Gichin Funakoshi, who was the, uh, the founder of Shotokan Karate, um, he wrote, he said, uh, when there are no avenues of escape, or one is caught even before any attempt to escape can be made, then for the first time the use of self-defense techniques should be considered. Even at times like these, do not show any intention of attacking, but first let the attacker become careless. At that time, attack him, concentrating one's whole strength in a blow to a vital point, and in the moment of surprise, escape and seek shelter and help. Now, I mean, that's sound advice for self-protection, you know. Awareness is the key thing, but if we do um, get, you know, caught off guard, then what we want to do is hit hard when the enemy doesn't expect it, and then get out of there. It's funny, Koshi said, show no intention of attacking and then attack him, you know. So, so hit them when they don't expect it, and then flee, escape and seek shelter and help. Now, the physical skill in all of this is, of course, the ability to hit hard, you know. So when we hit, it has an effect, it stuns, um, or incapacitates, or knocks them out, but gives us that opportunity to flee. Now, even if the situation does develop into a fight, um, we still obviously we still need the ability to develop powerful strikes in order to bring the fight uh, to a very quick uh, conclusion. Now, karate is an art; it's based on the one blow, one kill concept, and by that we mean that every single blow, no matter how many we actually throw, uh, is capable of being a fight finisher. 
Um, and hence you'd expect that powerful strikes are something that all moderately experienced karateka would possess. Um, however, if we're honest, I mean, um, in the modern practices of uh, too much air punching, uh, not enough impact training, and the influence of point sparring have produced karateka who are unable to strike with, uh, with real power. Now, it's a transfer of body weight that makes strikes powerful. When a strike hits the target, the entire body weight of the striker must be behind that strike if it's going to have fight-stopping power. Now, on average, the weight of your arm counts for about 6% of a person's overall body weight. So striking with the arm alone will result in a, a very weak punch. We need to get the mass behind it. Now, one of the main reasons why uh, karateka uh, may deliver uh, arm-only punches is that modern point sparring inadvertently encourages simply moving the hand as quickly as possible in order to get the point, you know, to score. Now, because the speed of the hand and arm are overemphasized, the body motion is frequently curtailed, and this results in an arm-only punch. Now, you know, just to be clear, you know, most karateka are encouraged to twist the hips into the punch when they're sparring. However, this twist is normally done in a way to give extra reach to the punch in order to bridge the gap between the combatants, and obviously this gap doesn't exist in a real fight. Um, so they're moving in that way as opposed to rotating the hips in a way that effectively generates uh, body weight, transfers body weight. Now, extra reach is something that's not required for close-range um, combat that's associated with live situations. Uh, the twist for reach doesn't add much power to the punch, and the resulting impact, what little of it there is, is, again, predominantly down to the arm movement alone. Um, so in much of modern karate training, due to the emphasis of point, uh, point scoring, the hand is often the first thing to move when a punch is thrown. Get the hand to the target as quickly as we can, score the point, referee sees it, you know, we, we win the bout, you know. Now, alternatively, we sometimes also see the hand and hip move at the same time. Now, both ways are ineffective if the aim is to generate, you know, fight-stopping power. Uh, a punch needs body weight behind it. Now, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is the hand can move faster than the mass of the body. Um, so the body needs to move first so that when the hand impacts, the body motion's at its peak. You know, it, 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 it's, it's moving at maximum velocity at that point. So the most effective way to generate power is to move the hand last. So, so to generate fight-stopping power, we should move the feet first, if that's appropriate in, in, to what we're doing, uh, then the hips, and finally the hand. The body moves, and then the hand transfers the resulting movement of that body weight into the opponent. Now, if the hand either moves first, or at the same time as the hip, the body weight has either not moved, or has only moved a small amount at the time the hand makes impact. Uh, therefore, there's no significant amount of body weight to transfer, and the impact will be chiefly down to uh, the arm motion alone, and the resulting punch will be weak. Um, another common error when delivering punches is to twist from the centre of the body, so you know, kind of like the, so the spine forms a central pivot, uh, so that we have one side of the hip travelling forwards while the other side of the hip is going backwards. Now, when pivoting from the centre, even if the timing is correct and the arm is the last thing to move, the nature of the hip movement means that a significant amount of the body weight is travelling in the opposite direction to the punch. Now, that's not really of great concern if the aim is simply to get the hand to the target. However, uh, to punch with power at close range, you should pivot from the side of your hip, so that the whole of the body is travelling in the direction of the punch. Uh, we've already established that in much of modern training, the movement of uh, body weight is not emphasised anywhere near as much as the speed at which the karateka can get their hand to the target. Now, the result of this practice is punches that lack power. Now, in the past, when karate was in practice uh, solely as an effective uh, civilian combat system, one would expect the mechanics to be geared towards developing uh, maximum impact. And now, if we're looking at for real power, we should ignore the mechanics used in modern 
karateka versus karateka sparring, and instead look at the mechanics of the traditional funches uh, found within within kata, uh, within correctly taught kata, and look at how those principles can be, you know, uh, used in, in everything that we do. Now, one of the first karate techniques I was ever taught was like uh, the junzuki or the oizuki, you know, the lunging punch. And this punch is found throughout the kata and is frequently the first basic punch taught in most karate dojos. Now, as a slight aside, the way in which the majority of karate are taught to apply the junzuki is far from practical. You know, this idea of lunging in from 10 feet away is not it. You know, the hand on the hip not doing anything and so on and so forth. However, that's not the fault of the punch itself. The problem is the widespread misunderstanding of how the punch should be applied. Now, it's not the purpose of this podcast to look at the application of that punch itself. You know, if you have a look at the uh, first applied karate DVD, that, that covers that. Um... But what I want to examine in this podcast is the, the body mechanics, the basic body mechanics of, of power into technique. Now, Junzuki, as it was taught to me, was a fluid motion where the feet move first, then the hips move, pivoting from the side of the hip, and then finally the hand moves to deliver the punch. There's some great diagrams and, and in-depth text explaining this uh, technique in detail in Shingo Ogami's Introduction to Karate. Um, so that's, that's a great book if you want to really kind of break down the mechanics of the punch, you know. And, but the fundamental concept introduced by this technique and other traditional punches um, should always be adhered to. We should always move the feet in the direction of the punch, either stepping or hitching, if we have the room to do so, and it's appropriate to do so. And then we pivot from the side of the hip. And now that the body is in motion, we move the arm to transfer the generated energy into the opponent. The motion of the hip and the delay of the hand uh, means that torque is more mentally uh, generated in the torso, and hence the hand will be dynamically whipped forward as well. Um, so if you think of like a, a, a javelin throw or a tennis serve or a golf swing or things like that, you see the hip move first and the hand comes through. So you get this spiraling of, of torque through the body. So when it's finally released, you get this, this dynamic impact. Another thing it's just important to mention as well, which is the impact should always be made when we're moving. Um, so if we're looking at kata, um, any stance should be considered the, the end of the technique. It's certainly not the start. Uh, we don't assume a stance in order to throw a technique. We assume a stance as we are throwing the technique. So the stance is where the weight ends up after it's been driven through the target. And then instantly we'll move again. So I think your know, stance is a bad word because in English it infers something fixed and immovable. You know, like, you know, that's my stance on that issue. It's the way we use the word in general speak. But when we're looking at kata, it's just saying, you know, this is where your weight should be when the technique is concluded. So it's not the stance that's important, it's how you assumed it. It's the, the, the movement of the mass that is key. And in a real fight, of course, the instant you've moved that mass, you'll be moving it again in a split second. You don't assume the stance. It's, it's there and gone. It's, it just appears and vanishes, you know. Um, so anyway, I, I've got to emphasize again that in order to effectively transfer the movement of body weight into the target, the hand, or whatever striking surface has been used, should move last. Now, when emphasizing that the hand should always move last, some people worry that the technique will be too slow. Um, Now, you should understand that the hand is only delayed for the fraction of a second before being dynamically driven forwards at high speed due to the torque of the body. Now, it's one of these things, you know, from the outside, it's often imperceptible. You know, I mean, if people are moving quickly, you, you can't see it, but you can certainly feel it from the inside, and you can certainly feel it if you get hit by it. Now, if you don't delay the hand in an attempt to get the hand to the target as quickly as possible, it will do nothing to the opponent when it gets there because the body mass won't have a chance to get up to speed yet. It won't be at maximum velocity. Uh, so to strike with real power, we need to stick to these principles. And these are principles found in the kata when kata is, 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 correctly, is correctly taught, you know. Um, now, at this point, I'd like to, you know, mention that 
in many dojos, power mechanics uh, of the traditional punches have been contaminated by the speed and reach mechanics of modern sparring. So this means that not all karateka will teach and practice traditional punches in the way you know we've been discussing. However, the majority of the high-ranking karateka that I've trained with um, do teach uh, punching in this way. You know, and one obviously the, the key guy for this is obviously uh, Peter Considine has made. Um, you know, the, 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 he's the man when it comes to power. You know, his, his analysis of hip movement and the way in which he should generate power is phenomenal. And you know, Peter's had a big influence on my uh, uh, striking um, striking power. So. If you uh, pop to the, the, the blog um, where this, this podcast is, is hosted, the blog of uh, ianabernethy.com, um, there's a, a video clip there that accompanies this podcast that you can watch of uh, me doing some a little bit of work on the Forksmiths with um, with Peter overseeing it. And that's taken from Peter Constantine's uh, training day seminar that he did in 2007. Um, so that's well worth checking out, you know, to discuss the kind of mechanics of these, uh, the application of power in a, a free-flowing and, and dynamic way. So anyway, for karate to be practiced as a practical combat system, we need to adhere to uh, solid power principles, which should be found in kata. Now, whether the punch in question is a traditional punch or a modern variation, it doesn't really matter. The mechanics are the mechanics, and they should be there in everything you do. Now, in future podcasts, you know, I may return to look at specific foot and hip movements to get power into the various strikes, but for now, it's enough to understand the broad principles of body mechanics that we've been discussing. So when practicing your strikes, be sure to move in a way that gets body weight behind them. Uh, by sticking to the power principles we've talked about, you'll be able to get real power, uh, power and ensure that your practice karate is a, a practical fighting system. Now, in addition to understanding the basic body mechanics of power generation, we also need to uh, ensure that we put our knowledge into practice against impact equipment. Now, in the past, all karateka made use of uh, makiwara and other such impact equipment. However, in modern, uh, many modern dojos, the only thing that's ever struck is the air. Um, so I'd now like to move on and look at the various types of impact equipment available and, and briefly discuss how we can use some of them to increase the power of our strikes. Yeah, but before we do so, I think it's important to uh, give a word of caution. You know, the incorrect delivery of techniques against the striking surface can result in severe injury. So you, you need to ensure that you receive you know, good quality instruction from a qualified and experienced instructor before engaging in any kind of impact training. So in karate, the most traditional form of um, impact equipment is obviously the makiwara. And uh, there are numerous types of makiwara, but the main ones would be the standing type and the hanging type. Uh, the standing makiwara is prominently used to develop uh, hand and arm techniques, and through the repeated striking of the makiwara, uh, the hands become conditioned, technique is improved, and the karateka's ability to deliver effective strikes is vastly increased. The standing makawara is a great training tool, but its main drawback is its lack of versatility. Uh, the target is always at the same height and distance, hence accuracy is not developed, and the practice of combinations is very, very limited. Um, I'm not saying that you shouldn't use a standing makiwara because, as I said, it's a great piece of kit, but, but it should be used in conjunction with the other items that we're going to be discussing. Uh, the hanging makiwara is less common than its standing counterpart, but it's, you know, it's still a good piece of kit, and the hanging makiwara was predominantly used to practice uh, kicks. But you can also use it for developing you know, your thrusting punches uh, too. Now, a, a more modern form of impact equipment is the focus mitts, um, often referred to as the hook and jab pads as well. Um, and they're a great you know, versatile tool to aid in the development of, of striking skills. Uh, when they're used correctly, you can improve power, accuracy, uh, versatility, um, your anaerobic endurance as well, you know, if you use it intensely enough. Now, there'll be some, I've no doubt there'll be some who say, yeah, but, you know, focus mitts aren't a traditional piece of equipment and then they don't belong in the uh, traditional karate dojo. 
Now, whilst it's true that the formulators and developers of karate didn't use focus in their training, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't. Whilst it was relatively easy for the karateka of the past to get some rope, some straw and a wooden post to make a makiwara, it would be impossible for them to get the modern materials needed to make a pair of focus mitts. Now, I'm certain if the past masters had had access to focus mitts, I feel confident they would have used them, you know. Now, the main advantage of focus mitts over other pieces of equipment is their versatility. Um, the person uh, wearing the mitts can position them so that practically every striking technique and combination can be practised. Focus mitts are also they're a great piece of equipment that can develop impact footwork and accuracy. And they, they are my favourite piece of training equipment uh, for impact. When you've got a good holder, and that's that's key, I feel, you know, um, if they're held by someone who doesn't understand how to hold pads, if they're not giving you a, a resistance to overcome, or if they're slapping your fists sometimes, see, uh, bad habit in boxing, I often see that where you're never quite sure who's generating the power. Is it the guy holding the pads or the guy hitting, you know? But you need to give some resistance there. Uh, you also need to bear in mind that the targets you present should reflect the way that people move and the way that people are. It's not uncommon to see uh, students, um, you know, hold the pads, you know, three feet between them. Well, who's got a head that's three feet wide? You know what I mean? It's, it's, you've got to hold the pads in a way that resembles what you're actually trying to um, to hit. Um, <laughs> anyway, you know, they are a great piece of kit, and with a good holder, you know, the, the, the spot on. Again, if you check out the video clip that accompanies this podcast, um, you can see um, a, a Peter is the guy that's holding for me there, and Peter's a great holder. I can charge at the pads, and I just know that they're going to, you know, they're going to be there for me, and I've got some resistance to, to, you know, drive into with the technique. Now, focus mitts do have the limitations, particularly when it comes to kicking, though. So, um, they're great for roundhouse and groin kicks, but they can't be used effectively for front kick and uh, front kicks and, and, and side kicks, you know. But yeah, great piece of kit, and it should, you know, every every karateka should be using those and, and learning to become both a competent striker on them and a competent holder as well. Um, now another classic piece of kit is um, the, the punch bag. Um, and again, that's a, I, I love working um, the bag. It's a great piece of kit for the development of power. Uh, the mass of the bag means it can be used to practice uh, practically all the techniques found within traditional uh, uh, karate, traditional kata, with the exception of uppercuts, any rising strike or dropping strike. But you know the, the straight striking, the round strikes, perfect on the bag. So this will include you know the hand strikes, the punches, the elbows, the knees, the headbutts, kicking combinations. The bag is great for the development of impact. Um, you can for the the, the body motion, uh, combinations, and stamina. One of the downsides of the bag is generally because it's so big, it's not good for developing accuracy, obviously due to its um, due to its size. Now, for the karateka, a fairly long bag is best. You're talking about you want about five or six feet in length. Um, a standard uh, boxing style bag will be too short for us. So, although boxers never hit below the waist, um, a great many of karate techniques do. You know, particularly the low line kicking. You know, and it should be remembered in live situations, kicking techniques should be delivered below waist height. Although the benefits of practicing high kicking in training, it's more physically demanding and more technically demanding. Um, so as a, as a physical training thing, nothing wrong with working high kicking at all. But if you're working realistic combinations, then you want to be thinking low, you know. Um, so we need a bag that's long enough to allow us to practice combinations that include both high and low strikes, you know. And the bag's a great piece of kit. It's also a real confidence builder. It's one thing to perform a movement against the air, but it's another thing entirely to actually hit a bag with it and then feel its effects. Um, so through bag work, you'll be able to ensure that, that your techniques are effective and you develop uh, that you can develop large amounts of impact when it's required. So it's a great confidence builder. Uh, another common piece of impact equipment is the kick shield. And as its name suggests, the kick shield is predominantly used for the development of uh, kicking techniques. 
However, it's also possible to use the kick shield for elbows, knees and punches and so on and so forth. Uh, one of the advantages of the, this piece of kit is that the person holding the kick shield can move around and this can make the actual placing of the strikes more realistic. Um, now, because kicks can be so powerful, it's vital that the person on the receiving end holds the shield correctly. You know, they hold it so all the limbs are out of the way, they haven't got elbows sticking out the side, it's held close to the body as well. Some people want to push it away in, in the belief that they're protecting themselves, but all that, that does is it means that the, kicks, the kick shield itself will slam into the holder. If you keep it against you, it'll dissipate the force a little bit better. Now, uh, one advantage that the kick shield has over other pieces of equipment is that you get a much better appreciation of the true effects of the blow, because you can observe the effects of that blow on the person holding the shield. So if you de deliver an elbow strike to a shield and that knocks your partner off the feet, it's a pretty safe assumption that your partner, had they not been holding the shield, and if they hadn't braced themselves, then that elbow would have proved to be you know, a, a stopping blow. Now, you know, it's vital that you make use of, of impact equipment in order to develop uh, powerful and effective strikes. Now, that sounds obvious because it is obvious. Uh, but if you want to be able to hit hard, um, you need to practice hitting things hard. You know, I mean, there's many karateka that don't, but to me that's a, a blindingly obvious, self-evident truth. Uh, practicing against the air can be, it can be a useful way to refine uh, basic technique, you know, but it will not develop any power. Uh, being able to hit hard is the number one physical skill when it comes to self-protection, so therefore we need to train regularly with impact equipment in order to develop that vitally important skill. So uh, as karateka we should have that confidence, we should know that you know all I need to do is make contact once with one good shot and I've won this fight. Uh, that one ball, one kill idea. Now, as we all acknowledge, it's landing that one shot can be a bit tricky, especially when we get beyond those preemptive stages. But we should have that confidence that all I need to be able to do is land one good shot. Right? One good shot, and that's it. He's out. He's off. So un make sure you understand the power principles. Make sure that you use impact equipment to develop that power, so you develop the confidence that all karateka should have. All your blows, one blow, one kill, fight-stopping power. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and found some of the information within it of use to you. Uh, also be sure to pop along to the blog of ianabernethy.com. That's I-A-I-N-A-B-E-R-N-E-T-H-Y, ianabernethy.com, where there's a short little video clip that shows some pad work drills, which obviously accompanies this, uh, this podcast. Uh, on the subject of podcasts, it's been two years since we did our first one, um, uh, October 2006. And obviously we're well over um, the 50,000 mark now in terms of the number of uh, downloads through all, you know, which is just amazing. I'm just so impressed with that. So thank you uh, for your support of the, the, the podcasts. I'm, I'm really happy that you're finding them of use and thank you all for enthusiastically supporting them and for spreading the word about them. Uh, in other news, we've got the third issue of Jison Magazine, which is the free online practical martial arts magazine. Uh, that's well into production now and be ready uh, shortly. Um, one of the other projects we have on the go is the uh, free ebook by uh, Michael Rosenbaum, who's the, the author of uh, Kata and the Transmission of Knowledge, uh, among other books. Uh, Michael has kindly provided us with a book on the uh, history and development of, of karate and application of Kata. And you know, it's a great, great ebook, which has just provided us with us completely free. So we're putting that together, and uh, that will be available for download shortly, too. So, um, yes, yeah, so a free book coming your way and a free um, magazine coming your way, too. So if you're a subscriber to the newsletters, then you'll obviously get to know about that. As 
as soon as they're uh, available. And if you're not, dead easy to join, and you can unsubscribe at any time. If you just pop along to ianabernethy.com and just click on the link and join the newsletter, and you get two uh, free books by myself for for doing that. Yeah. So, yeah, okay, that's it for this month. I'll be back next month with uh, another podcast. Uh, thanks once again for your support of them. You keep listening to them, I keep making them. It's, you know, I'm, I'm, as I say, I'm really happy with the, how enthusiastically they've been supported. So, you know, thank you very much. So, yep, yeah, I'll see you next month. Until next month, have a great month, and I'll see you then. Okay, stay lucky. Bye-bye now.